Hi, I'm Podrick Harrington. If you're enjoying the Open Podcast, subscribe for free and leave your thoughts in a review. Be sure to stay tuned for plenty more new content ahead of the 149th Open this July at Royal St. George's. You're listening to the Open Podcasts. No. Fancy taking five. You're standing there going, don't mess this up again. I mean, how many chances do you want to have to win the Open? His whole life he dreamt of winning the Open Championship. I just knew what this meant. This was huge. Beautifully struck. Ernie now leaves the Championship. In the afternoon, there'll be some weather coming in. Trust me, it's going to be the end of the world. I'll never forget Tiger Woods. I've never thought I'll see any fear in his eyes. But I saw, you know, his eyes were wide open. Rims it out. Tiger will make that. Be a round of 10 over par, 81. Well, now, what of Ernie? Going left. We were about halfway up the stands, and that bunker is so deep that you couldn't see his waist in it. Magnificent bunker shot. Shot of the championship, Alex. That was one of the finest shots in a major, I think. I mean, he had nothing. This is it. This to be the outright champion 2002. The line wasn't bad, but he didn't hit it, and he's got to hold that to make it a four-way playoff. I really was as low as you can get, from being two up to being almost knocked out. What an extraordinary championship this has been. There was only one man, Tiger Woods Fear, and his name was Ernie else. Ernie Els is golfing royalty. On the tee from South Africa, Ernie Els. They call him the Big Easy because of his easygoing attitude and effortless swing. Beautifully struck, Ernie Els now leads the championship. He's also a man with a relentless will to win, and everything came together for him at Muirfield to claim his first claret jug, although he had to do it the hard way. Ernie Els on three, this is for birdie. It's taking his head off. That's just saturated. I'm Di Doherty and I remember the players battling through that crazy storm on Saturday, but it was also a week of brilliant bunker shots, lost balls and fairy tale endings. This is the story of 2002. Born in Johannesburg in 1969, Ernie started playing golf at the age of eight. When he was 14, he won the Junior World Golf Championship with a certain Phil Mickelson finishing a runner-up. Young Ernie traveled the world playing golf, but he always had one main goal. The Open is, is the biggest one of the four. It's got the biggest field. The most players try and get into the field. It's the most international field and it's being played on the oldest type of golf. So you're playing the daddy tournament of golf. That's what you're playing. And the players know that. 1992 was the first Open as a professional for Ernie, who finished fifth. And soon afterwards, he claimed his first major, winning the US Open in 1994 and again in 97. Els hadn't got over the line in the Open. A tie for second in 1996 preceded a runner-up finish in 2000, where he finished eight shots behind Tiger Woods. It is amazing how when others just slip and stumble, Tiger at the moment is in this wonderful mode where he gets the job done. In 2002, Tiger had already won the Masters and the US Open. All the build-up to the Open focused on the world number one going for the third leg of the Grand Slam. First of all, i got to play well and take care of business this week and try and win the championship, and, and that'll be an end result. It's a different style than the courses we've played, but it's one of the most fair golf courses we've played. It presents itself right in front of you. I mean, there's no hidden agendas, you know, no, no tricks or anything like that. It's just one of those golf courses that just, you know, it's very fair and come get me. I'm Dame Laura Davies and I was commentating for the BBC at the Open in 2002. Tiger was the basically the be-all and end-all, wasn't he, let's face it. And he's just the best player, I think. I mean, I, I love Jack Nicholas, but I think Tiger's the best we've ever seen. There might be a young fella out there somewhere that's going to eclipse what Tiger did. Who knows? But yeah, he was, he was at his brilliant best and expected to win. Dame Laura is right. However well Ernie played, he was competing against one of the greatest of all time. So, was Ernie's game good enough to worry Tiger? The South African's caddy, Ricky Roberts, believed it was. I think it was Chicago, maybe, or Atlanta, the US Open. And we played with Tiger. 
first two days. And then he hit it in this bunker, you know, and he was in there and he hits it out. It's a about six foot. The tiger looks at Stevie Williams and he says, <laughs> and Stevie Williams told me there was only one man, Tiger Woods feared, one man. And his name was Ernie Els. He didn't feel threatened by anybody else. And I, I used to say this to Ernie because I thought maybe that'd get him going. Take it as a positive, not a negative. He says, yeah, you're right. Rick is like a brother. I met him back in the late 80s. He was scouting for Mark McNulty and, and Jeff Hawks and, you know, all the really good South African players. He started caddying for me in 1992 and he's still with me. We are in 2021. We've had a couple of breakups here and there. Things were said and so forth, but it's almost like family. It runs off my back and it definitely runs off his back because <laughs> I've given him a lot more than he's given me. But I always felt that he had my back. No, listen, we made Richard Burton and Liz Taylor look like a bunch of novices. You know, I've had more comebacks than Frank Sinatra. <laughs> you know, I think every now and again, you probably need to take a break because you get on each other's nerves. But, uh, you know, the chemistry's has always been pretty good. You know, it's had its ups and downs like it is with any relationship. But, um, you know, I mean, he's a very, very kind man. You know, he's got a big heart, big, big heart. I mean, he can be tough on the golf course, but, you know, you need to have that toughness and that edge, you know, to be able to get to that next level, I think. Ricky Roberts is an amazing guy. And another interesting character involved in 2002 was Steve Elkington from New South Wales. Winner of the PGA Championship in 1995, Elk had to qualify for the Open at Dunbar Golf Course. To understand the 2002 Open Championship Muirfield, we have to go back a week to me qualifying because I wasn't exempt and um, I finished up getting to a playoff three of us in the playoff for two spots and I've got a 40 footer left to stay in the playoff I hit this putt and it goes down and goes in so we tied that hole and as we were walking over to the second tee the official that was with us had told us that somebody had just withdrawn from the open championship and all three of us had gained entry to the tournament. So he said, we all should go back and have a beer. So we did. So that was how I got into the tournament. I don't know if anyone's been in a playoff in the open and gone on to win, but that's how it began for me in 02. It's the 18th of July, 2002, day one of the 131st Open. The wind was usually a big factor at Muirfield, but Thursday was nice and calm. The big attraction, Tiger, teed off at 9.01. On the tee from USA, Tiger Woods. But he didn't start quite as we expected. That has gone miles right. I mean, that's, oh, 30 yards at least right. If he gets to the fairway, it'll be a good hit. You guys take enough pictures already? Did on the tee, now you're doing it now. Tiger saved par and shot a round of 70. His playing partners, Justin Rose and Shigeki Mariyama, both outshone him with rounds of 68. Sergio Garcia, who won the amateur championship at Muirfield in 1998, fought to 8.71. We go to the first to Garcia, his putt for a birdie. The best rounds of the day went to Cole Peterson, David Toms and Duffy Waldorf, who all shot 67s to share the lead. Waldorf rattles one in. Regular, of course, on the US tour. Won a few events. He does have an exotic range in shirts, does he not? <laughs> Parisian Thomas LeVay stumbled to a one-over pass 72. He was to play a significant role that week, just not quite yet. It's very special. How can I explain? It's like becoming uh, finally the star of your favorite show, you know what I mean? And uh, to tell you the truth, the first time I went to Scotland, I played the British boys and it was so windy. Uh, after two rounds of disaster, I came back to France and I said to my dad, I'm not going back to Scotland ever again. And basically the story is funny because I just, uh, I won the Scottish Open. I made the most all-in-ones I made in my career are our all in Scotland. I made five all-in-ones in Scotland out of 12 all-in-ones or something like that. So it's like, for me, the Open is that, that is that much special. Enormous crowds on this opening day. Just a short drive out from Edinburgh, 18 miles to the southeast. And those who've made the journey today have been treated to absolutely glorious conditions, glorious weather. I'm Steve Reeve. I'm from Berkshire. And I was one of the thousands of fans at Muirfield in 2002. 
I mean, I've been to probably six or seven Opens. You can watch it on the TV, but being there and feeling the atmosphere and hearing the noise is really, really special. But it's that sort of difference between the dead silence and then the roar is the thing that always gets me at the Open. It is, and, and you hear it going off elsewhere on the course and we're listening to the radio and you're trying to work out what that roar is. And it really is a really special, special event. Friday was special too. It was a miserable start to the day, but the wind held off. Phil Mickelson blew his chances with a 76, while Tiger's 68 moved him to just two shots off the lead. Uh, that's a four for Tiger, round of 68. Not a drop shot in this round. 70 yesterday, 68 a day. Who's to say it's not going to be a 66 and a 64? Colin Montgomery channelled his inner tiger, following up a first-round 74 with a course-record 64. Oh, that will mean an awful lot to him. Beautiful stuff. It really is fantastic. It's great to see Monty respond to that disappointing day yesterday and come back with a round of the championship. The veterans were loving it. Nick Faldo shot his 34th sub-70 round at the Open, one more than the great Jack Nicholas. Oh, well, it's a wonderful return part, and you can see from Nick Faldo's expression how much it meant to him. Dubliner Podrick Harrington moved up to joint leader with an impressive 67. There was actually a five-way tie for the top spot at the halfway stage. One of those spots belonged to Ernie. The South African went through the front nine in 29 strokes. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I remember playing with Brad Faxon, was in my uh, group uh, in the first two rounds. You know, I must say David Ledbert has got to get a lot of credit. Yeah, we worked a, a lot on the swing and I've started feeling more comfortable with the swing. And it was one of those beautiful Friday mornings in Scotland. You know, it was a clear morning, nice and crisp. Not a lot of breeze. You know, the putter was getting nice and warm and I just made a lot of putts. It was one of those rounds that I just wanted to keep continuing playing. It was just such a nice morning. The crowds were great. I remember making a long putt on number nine and, and turning 29. That was quite something. You don't get to do that in a major draw. And what a wonderful effort that was. Magnificent. Another birdie on his card. And he taps it in, but it could well have been a phenomenal first nine. It's not too dusty as it turns out, is it, Dennis? Yeah, well, I'd say I'd take 29, and everybody in the field would take 29 and not argue. Oh, it was unbelievable. When Ernie was in his prime, he arguably had to be the best putter in the world. And he, the funny thing is, he's a great reader of greens. He doesn't ask me very often. The only time he would ever ask me is if he had no idea. And the other thing, you know, for a big guy, he had amazing hands. Like you would think for a big bloke like that, to be also one of the best bunker players the game's seen is quite phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, at that time of his career, you know, he was one of the elite 10 players probably. They were all chasing Tiger's coattails, but certainly Ernie was one of them that, that you'd expect to be up there if, if the likes of Tiger slipped up. So, yeah, he, he was a well superstar player of that year and uh, no surprises he went on to do what he did. Ernie's brilliant front nine put him joint top alongside Harrington, Mariyama, Waldorf and Bob Tway. Just two shots separated the top 16 players going into the third round. That was a sign of things to come. But not many people could have predicted what was to happen on Saturday. I wish Steve Elkington had told us this story back in 2002. There's a harbour in North Barrick. It's a beautiful harbour. And the harbour master, the guy that ran that harbour, was in the pub that night. And it, we were talking about me making the cut. He said, what time are you playing tomorrow? And I said, like eight o'clock in the morning. I was one of the first groups. And he said, I tell you what I'd like to see you do tomorrow. He said, I'd like to see you shoot a good round. Because in the afternoon, there'll be some weather coming in that nobody will even... It's going to be the most horrific weather. I can tell it in the current, in the harbour. And I said, well, there's nothing on the TV about weather. He goes, trust me, tomorrow afternoon, it's going to be the end of the world. And the good news on this weekend is that the weather is holding up. A bit of cloud, a bit of light rain. It was a beautiful morning. I mean, it was barely a cloud in the sky. It's the finish that he wanted. Justin Rose out in 34, back in 34, a round of 68 today. All of a sudden, probably around about noonish, one-ish, somewhere around there, I looked out and I saw this black mass coming in. And I thought, wow, that doesn't look pretty. I remember going to the range 
and Tiger was coming off the range and he was going to the first tee. I was like an hour behind him. I'll never forget Tiger Woods. I've never thought I'll see any fear in his eyes, but I saw, you know, his eyes were wide open. He knew we were in trouble and it was just awful, awful, awful. And that was some of the most atrocious stuff I've ever played in. (laughs) It was crazy. Then he yells on three. This is for Birdie. He's taking his hat off. Too many hats just saturated. Now, so too many drops falling off the brim. It really is quite off-putting, this rain, and very cold. That'll be a four for Ernie. We played about 13 to 14 holes in that monsoon, and it was not a pleasant experience. As soon as you walked out of the trailers where the mics were put on us, you were soaking wet. And I, I took an umbrella out. Why I thought that was a good idea, microphone and an umbrella, that never works, and it blew inside out. I think I threw it away after a couple of holes. You were kind of hoping you were prepared, but seeing those guys, what we had to put up with was obviously nothing compared to what they were battling, but it was just an extraordinary day. This is Thomas Levé, French player, buddy at nine. No, it was not even December. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, the World Championship of Surfing in Hawaii. You know, that's basically it. You're middle of the wave playing off. That's what, that's what it was. But those players already in the clubhouse today with rounds of 68, including Justin Leonard and Justin Rose, both at two under. We'll be watching with interest to see how these leaders perform in the worst conditions of the day. Steve Elkington and Peter Lonard, both with rounds of 68 also today. They're in the clubhouse at one under par. So I went out and I shot 68 in the morning and I played fantastic. I went back to the pub after lunch and I could start to see the weather was starting to change a little bit. I went back into the back room and laid down and went to sleep and I looked out onto the street and I saw a guy that could not get in the door into the pub because the wind was blowing and it was raining so hard he couldn't even get in. And I ran over to the TV and everybody in the pub knew that I was back there having a sleep. And they said, Elk, by the time this round's finished, you're probably going to be leading this tournament because these guys are hitting it sideways and they can't even stand up. Tiger Woods, second shot on five. My goodness, his tee shot won a total of 206 yards. He's lost that to the right again. That's the third iron shot we've seen him hit to the right today. It gets to the point where it becomes almost laughable. I'm sure Tiger wasn't laughing and a few of the other scores, Monty and all those, weren't laughing, but... It gets to the point where it's so ridiculous. You don't give up, but you just kind of give into it and just let whatever's going to happen, happen. Oh, well, that just sums up the day. Rims it out. Tiger will make that. It'll be a round of 10 over par, 81. And who would have thumped it? <laughs> that wasn't in the script, was it? Tiger's score of 81 was, in fact, the worst round of his professional career. Monty fared even worse. Montgomery for... A round of 83. I can't believe it, can you? 74 on the first day, 64 yesterday, 84 today. If it was difficult to play in, how about for those watching from the stands? Let's go back to our fan Steve Reeve, who was at Muirfield with his fiancée, Andrea. I don't know what club wind it would have been, but it was the rain was coming in sideways for a good 90 minutes. And the temperature probably dropped from about 20 degrees down to single figures. It cold, it was wet. Into the wind, the balls were just stalling and going nowhere. And downwind, the balls were just just flying. It it was the worst weather I have ever seen anybody try to play golf in. It was horrific. It was one of those days where you look back on and go, I'm glad we stuck it out and I'm glad we were there because we were one of the few that did stick it out in that stand. You've got to keep your lens dry on a day like this. Look as if they're bivouacked there, halfway up Everest. I think anything under 76, 77, anything around there would have been just fine, I think. Playing in the Open Championships, you know, morning times to afternoon times, you know, they can fluctuate incredibly. But on this particular day, as you say, things just got out of hand, you know, so to speak, weather-wise. You know, guys that played in the morning would just made the cut virtually played themselves back into the tournament by just shooting a, a nice round of golf. I remember playing with Shigeki Mariyama and he was turning blue next to me. It was so cold. Ernie Els with a putt for a two. Beautifully struck. Ernie Els now leads the championship. Well, it was just phenomenal. I mean, 
the rain was just persistent. The wind. I'm trying to keep clubs dry. I mean, he hit some golf shots that day. They were just beyond belief, really, in those conditions. I mean, it was just crazy. What I find amazing with him is that for such a big guy and growing up in Johannesburg, which is, as we call it, the high felt here, he has to be arguably one of the finest links golfers I've ever seen. But he just mesmerizes me sometimes. <laughs> Ernie, of course, has come out there with an excellent round of 72 and is in the lead by two shots at five under par. Well, that, that's the worst possible lead. Two-shot lead in a major championship. That, that to me, I would sleep very poorly. I've, I've slept on a two-shot lead in majors before, I'm sure. I've probably blown a few and maybe hung on to a few. But yeah, it just makes you feel uncomfortable because you are leading. You feel like you should win. You're playing well. Two-shot lead, it, it should be yours. And if you don't win it, then not that anyone would ever call you choker, but it's, it's, it doesn't sit very well with you in that you, you didn't finish the job off. I was a hell of a nervous. You know, I've, I've won tournaments before that, obviously, and even, as you said, that year. But I, just, I was just hoping my game's going to, you know, stay alive. Because we patched it up, I didn't have time to really groove in all the changes we made leading up to the first round of that week. Now, I'm playing with a bit of a patched-up swing, you know, doing quite well, you know, just kind of surviving, and I'm in the lead. You know, as we said, that one nine holes of Friday really broke me apart from the field. And now I find myself in the lead after surviving a Saturday. Now, Sunday was going to be a perfect day, according to Ricky. <laughs> you know, he said to me, just make sure I don't hit it in the bunkers. Just make sure I keep the ball out of the traps and keep the ball in play. You know, then we'll move from there. I, I just felt very, very nervous. Didn't sleep very well. I slept at grey walls myself and my wife, Liesl. Beautiful room, but... I was tossing and turning like, like crazy, so I was, I was quite tight. It's the final day of the 131st Open Championship. Ernie is two shots clear of Denmark's Soren Hansen. Seven players are tied third, including Sergio Garcia, Justin Rose and Shigeki Mariyama. Tiger is outside of the top ten after his round three implosion, but the world number one came out fighting on Sunday. Now, Tiger, great round. Peter, that's the seventh round in the 60s today. We only had two all day yesterday. Definite improvement in the weather. Well, you see, just one drop stroke at the third, ends up with a 65. Tremendous golf. For me, Tiger's the very best, and the best never, ever give up. He would, he would have got every ounce out of that huge score on Saturday. I guarantee it. He probably couldn't have done any better. He wouldn't have thrown any away. He might, might have hit some bad shots, but... And there's the mark of the man, 65 on Sunday, and that's why he's who he is. It wasn't only Tiger shooting low. Early starters Peter O'Malley and Scott Hoke hit 65 and 66 respectively to go in as clubhouse leaders at four under par. Gary Evans had never lifted a trophy as a pro and went into the fourth round on one over par, but he soon became the man to catch. Sunday morning, driving to the course, it was a nice bright sunny day. And I rang Ewan Murray, who was looking after me at the time with my golf swing. I rang him, I said, listen, I said, I, I think I'm going to play really well today. I said, how am I going to handle this coming up, you know, the back nine? Because I, I feel like I'm going to go close. And he said, look around at the birds, look around at the trees, look around at the clouds. They're all going to be there tomorrow and none of them cares what you do. None of them cares. It doesn't matter. You just go and play and whatever will be, will be. I birdied two, a birdied three, a birdied four, part five, a birdied six, a birdied seven, and a birdied eight. Championship leader Gary Evans. Unfortunate the ball come off the front of the 16th green to here. Oh, great shot, he's made it. Go! <laughs> We've been discussing how difficult this shot was, how nearly, nearly impossible it was in our night. I played probably the best pitch shot of my life, and it stopped half an inch short, middle of the hole. He looks like the calmest man on the entire field. He's totally relaxed. He doesn't look phased at all, does he? As I'm walking off the green, Alex says, and this young man looks as calm as a cucumber. And I'm like, are you joking? I mean, do you have any idea? I mean, I was absolutely shaking. Shaking. 
another one out of the way. Par five next. Two to play. Walk up onto the 17th tee. I suddenly had this thought in my mind, Christ, I'm going to win the Open. And the moment I thought that, I tried to unthink it because I hadn't thought about consequences up until that moment that it just popped into my mind. So I walked up to the fairway, walk up the up to the ball. I just got a bit short with my backswing. It's pulled it way left. I think that uh, he got a little bit anxious at the top of his backswing there and turned into the ball rather rapidly. I'm thinking, oh, well, it'll be all right. I'll be able to chip up the green from there. And we walk up there and everyone's looking and no one's got the ball. This is when Gary has to walk up there very slowly as the five minutes starts when he gets in there. This is not good. Found a top flight, but it's, uh, it's not Gary's ball. Stick it in your pocket, Laura. I was with Gary Evans because his that ball nearly hit me and we still couldn't find it. And I had the people in my ear radioing in. It landed eight foot left of you. So I was trying to, we were trying to help him find it, obviously, because he was right in amongst them. Someone shouts, I got a ball, find it. No, tightless, no. Someone finds another ball, it's a, you know, another different ball. Less than 30 seconds to go before the five minutes is up. Someone says, I've got it, tightless, do. Rush over there turn the golf ball to identify it and of course my marking is not on the golf ball it's not my ball and then the referee says time up you've got to go back so i dropped the ball carries fourth shot alex if he gets up and down it'll be a par but it'll be the finest par he's ever made in his life full shot and hit the shot i wanted to hit the first time around onto the green i can hear the sound of my heart thumping my heart's just going bang 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 like this and it's like loud in my ears i'm thinking this is mad anyway Get over the putt, struck it perfectly. I'm sure the whole nation is willing this one in. That's one of the most courageous things any of us have ever seen. Well done. Just think, he might have knocked it on the green and taken three putts, the first one. <laughs> or he might have pulled it, Alex, and been eight under. <laughs> I've saved par. I mean, this is the, the bit where you see, you know, I walked over to a camera and I thought my mum will be having another baby at this stage. And I said, that's for you, mum. And, uh, and everything calms down. I walked out into the 18th fairway and then, you know, I had my John van der Velde moment up the 18th, which was, you know, a bit of a shame. And I looked up on the scoreboards and I could see Peter O'Malley was in the clubhouse and uh, I had a two-shot lead, but I had this putt for bogey. So effectively, at that moment in time, this putt was for the Open. It's a brave putt, but it's a five. And Gary Evans completes one of the most extraordinary rounds in the history of the Open Championship. 110 years since the Championship was first played over these famous links at Muirfield. And what drama. You sit there thinking, someone's got to beat me. I've posted a score and it's the Open Championship, someone's got to beat me. Evans finished his round at 3.30pm as clubhouse leader on five under par. But had he blown his chance? Australia's Stuart Appleby was another player from outside of the top ten who made a Sunday charge. He began the day six shots off the lead. Back to the 18th green, a putt for a birdie from Stuart Appleby to take him to six under. He's had the benefit of reading the line from Porig, and there he's cashed in on it. And how important is that? Oh, 65, nice. Alex, home in 30. It's a, a tremendous score. New leader in the clubhouse, too. Six under leads in the clubhouse. We're always saying how talented. What a wonderful striker this uh, man Appleby is. Well, you know probably more about him than me. I think he's a beautiful player. He is a sensational player. Fellow Aussie Steve Elkington and Frenchman Thomas LeVay both went into Sunday four shots behind Ernie on one under par. But wow, were they in the mood. Elkington, uh, watch the twist on this one. This is at nine for a birdie. In he comes. Yeah, he, he had to tip forward to stop it diving. So many have fallen short. Steve Elkington out in 33. When I got to the turn, I knew I was really in the tournament big time and... It actually kicked me up a gear and I just even started to play better. I had great chances. I was driving it. It was great. It was everything, you know, you think about how you would play an open. Perfect balance straight down the fairway. And remember, Peter, it is a quarter past two in the morning in Australia. So people have had a, lost a lot of sleep this week, but we're used to it. 
got myself all the way around to 18. I was still two or three behind at that time, and I hit this three-iron shot on 18. I think it was I laid up off the tee with a two-iron, and I, I hit this incredible three-iron shot that finished up about six feet right of the hole. So I was looking at the scoreboard, and Stuart Appleby was in the clubhouse at six, minus six, and this putt would have put me ahead of him. So I thought that would be this would be a real chance here. And Els, of course, at the time, I think it was somewhere in there, eight or nine. And this to take the lead in the championship. So if I could get in, I'd be ahead of Stuart Appleby if I made this putt to get to seven. Els was still on the golf course. There was still a ton of golf, but anything could happen. You never know what's going to happen down there. So, you know, I hit that putt, but it broke quite a bit. Missed it. That putt would have put him in the clubhouse at seven under. There's no point going back. I mean, we had a good plan on that putt. You know, it would have been great to birdie that hole, but it is what it is. So many players in with the chance. Thomas Levain at the at the 14th. Ooh, no. Oh, it's getting closer. I thought that was going to stop six feet short. I hit it really close um, most of the hole, so that was easy, but... My partner again was not behaving really well. I was making the short ones, but the medium ones, you know, the 20 footers, they were not there yet. So I was thinking, no, oh, it's serious. Just play serious golf and keep going. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I was not afraid of anything at the time, just trying to, to do the, my best and come back to the top of the leaderboard if, we, if I could. At least to the middle of it, I would have been happy. I never had the top, you know, top 10 in my career in majors. So that was, that was my goal, you know, Play as good as you can and, and feed from the other guy's fear or frustrations, basically. Eagle attempt for Thomas Levey on 17. On the back nine, I just I knew I was playing well, but uh, I'm watching the leaderboards all the time, you know, just to know what you need to do. And I've been doing it all my career, so it doesn't put any extra pressure on me or any kind of uh, motivates me as well, you know, to, to do that. It's like, uh, Come on, if somebody can do it, you can do it too. So, like, you know, it's that's my way of um, getting motivated up there. There you go, six under for LeVay. He won't be aware of any else's predicament on 13, but what a sensational putt. 17th again, bringing drama here on the last day. Oh, I remember, I think I beat the world record of high jumping, you know, that on that putt. I have a picture with my caddy next to me. My feet are to his waist. And you go like, I can't jump that high. It's not possible. It's all adrenaline, basically. And when he went in, um, I, I remember I looked at the leaderboard. And at the same time, almost, the guys are changing Ernie's score. And I'm thinking, what's going on? What did he do? They put the, this score like this. And suddenly, Thomas Levey is in the lead of the Open. And you go like, oh, my God. And... and uh, you know, adrenaline went to a point where I was uh, not walking anymore. I was flying. I was I couldn't feel my feet on the ground. And there is a long walk from 17 to 18:50. And on the way there, I got my driver in my hand, but I can't feel it. I can't feel the driver. It feels like I got nothing in my hand. While I'm walking to the 18th box, I just yelled, like you know, on the ground like this, and there's a wow, just to release energy. We were all screaming. It was Muirfield madness. There was so much movement on that final day. But let's rewind a little to catch up with our overnight leader. Ernie Els couldn't wait for his 2.30 tea time. No, really, he literally couldn't wait. On the tea farm, South Africa, Ernie Els. You wait so long for that final round. It's incredible. I even went to the range because we were at, on site at Greywalls. I actually went to the range at 10 o'clock in the morning. I just couldn't take it anymore. I had my breakfast and I said to Lee, I've got to do something. So I went to the range and the guys were looking at me and going, what the hell are you doing out here? You're teeing off at three of this afternoon. I said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep loose here. <laughs> Else to save part. Missed it. So it's a shot dropped on the first hole by the overnight leader. It'll be a tap in for a, a bogey five for Ernie Els to go back to four under. And Gary Evans now out in the lead on his own by two clear shots. After the first hole, I had a calm around me. As nervous as and anxiety as I had, I'd really started feeling very calm and, and very confident. New leader, Ernie Els, out in 35. He leads by one, nine holes left to play. It's amazing how... You know, in professional sport, you know, you go through all these ups and downs mentally, but 
I felt a very calm, and then I played really, really well. Remember getting to the 12th hole, the par three, when I pulled it into the bunker. Then all of a sudden, I felt like I was hanging on. My swing was was going and so forth. And then I could sense, you know, because the weather was so perfect that I could not bogey these holes. I had to keep parting or birdieing. The Open's official website has more content than ever before. Visit theopen.com today and explore our vast library of videos, as well as a host of feature articles, championship updates, ticket and hospitality information, venue guides, every episode of The Open podcasts, and much more. You can be part of some of golf's most influential fans by joining The One Club for free today. As a member, you'll be the first to secure your place at golf's original major, with priority access to tickets and hospitality at future Open Championships, including the 150th Open at St Andrews next year. Be part of the Open. Be part of the One Club. Join us today at theopen.com. Now he has this important putt to get him with a cushion of two shots. Beautiful strike. A birdie for Ernie. And he goes to eight under through 12 holes. I sensed that guys were coming. I even saw Gary Evans really coming. I think I was somewhere on the front nine. I was really watching the board. And then I saw his name being taken off the board, you know, and then obviously later on saw what happened to him, which was tragic for him, losing his ball. But yeah, I sensed there were a lot of people chasing. Yes, definitely. I think a really critical hole, this one coming up, the 13th, the par three. I just think this is the most crucial shot that he's got over the closing holes, Ken. I've seen him tug a few irons left throughout the week. Where's that one going? Going left. Well, it's certainly gone a long way left. I fear it's in that very deep bunker. But he's the third best bunker player, but that'll test Ernie Els. I mean, I hit it in a spot where you just cannot go. There's, on your yardage book, you put X's and reds, colours, and, you know, where you just cannot go. And that's that was like a double X. You cannot go there. And I hit it in there. I mean, and that dove in there. You know, it was one of those pull iron shots where, you know, nothing stops it. And it dove in there. I thought it was going to be plugged. You know, I could barely get in the bunker. It's so small and steep. So I got in there. But thankfully, I mean, it was up against the face, but thankfully it was on a little bit of an upslope. But you're going to make an almighty swing. You've got to open the face and then you still, uh, you know, it's a 50-50 if a ball comes out. He was in there during the practice round and just about got a stance, but you can see it's got a little rake line. The ball's nestled in the face. We were about halfway up the stand and that bunker is so deep that you couldn't see his waist in it. You could sort of see from his sort of chest up. And we had the we had the radio on and we were listening to the radio commentary and they were they they were saying this is just horrific because we couldn't see how far how close that ball was to the face. And I remember him walking up on the green, sort of having a look, taking his cap off, frowning a bit, walked up onto the green, walked back in and he he, he fussed a lot. He couldn't get his stance right. And I made this huge swing and contact was fine. One of the best shots, which we've seen a multitude of great shots today. And uh, even the ones that Gary Evans hit, that is the equal. Magnificent bunker shot. Shot of the championship, Alex. The roar when that ball came out and just sort of trickled up to within a couple of feet of the hole was was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. What amazes me sometimes in the media or on television when they say some of the finest shots hit in a major, that barely comes up. You know, people need to go and stand in that bunker and realise really how good that shot was. That was one of the finest shots in a major, I think. No, it was just phenomenal. I mean, he had nothing. My impression of that open is that bunker shot. And it's um, when you look back at it, he's dead and he's got absolutely no shot. Probably going to leave it in the bunker would have been the the obvious outcome and try and get up and down the second time. But yeah, just found that little bit of magic. That's what the great ones do. They find that little bit of magic when they're in real trouble. If he, if he leaves it in, makes double or whatever, triple, who knows? That might have, We might not have been talking about Ernie Els. So that, that's the moment I'll always remember. Touch of genius and there's been no better shot hit at a more critical time than that. It's almost been in the hole, you know, so I tapped in for three there and I was like, okay, that's it now. You know, I got away with one here. 
let's not do this again. And uh, that didn't quite stay true either. Ernie moved to eight under par, leading by two shots. He seemed to be cruising to the title, but things started to unravel. He bogeyed 14, parred 15, and then did the unthinkable on 16. No. Fancy taking five. It's seven iron in your hand on a beautiful evening. the bay and Appleby in the clubhouse. No doubt, nibbling at their fingernails. Else now needs to birdie the 17th to get into a tie with them. And then he'll need a four down the last for them all to go into a playoff. I really was as low as you can get. From being two up through 11 holes to being down and really being almost knocked out, you know, on 16, you know, after self-inflicting double bogey. I mean, I had the whole world to play it on the right side, but I just could not get rid of that left shot. You know, that left shot came back to haunt me, uh, which I struggled with before coming into the tournament. The walk back was incredibly tough. You know, I was very down, but for some reason, I got myself together right before I hit the T-shirt on 17. And these words still in my in my head was like, you're going to play as hard and as good as you can going in. And whatever happens, you're going to give it your best, you know. So basically, you know, give it 100% on every single shot you're going to play in going in. And I hit the most perfect driver down on 17. And then I believe I had a two iron into the 17th green. Pull that thing off right into the green. Two putter for birdie. Got one of those drop shots back. I suppose at the start of the week, if you'd have said to any of these guys, you got three on the last hole to win, would you take it? We all jumped at it. Playing some of the poorest golf for three holes, you know, then pulling it back. Looks a good swing. He's given himself a chance of making a three. He doesn't want to drop a stroke, otherwise he won't even be in the playoff. You know, I felt a little bit better, but I, still, I was still down on myself because I felt I let the tournament go, you know, but uh, at least I was still alive. This is it. This to be the outright champion 2002. wasn't bad, but he didn't hit it. That putt was for a 69 there. Slightly so And he's got to hold that to make it a four-way playoff. And then somehow made par down 18 to actually get myself into the playoff. Well, Ernie, my boy, there's more work to do. At least four more holes left to play. Well, he has been in a playoff for a major championship before, back in 1994, US Open. Indeed, Lauren Roberts and uh, Colin Montgomery. I was there and it weren't half hot. Ah, oh, golly. I just said to him, I said, look, it's not over. We still have another go at this. I said, you've, you've got to pick yourself up now. Just stay in the game. We've got another chance. He's like, yeah, you're right, you're right. Then he sort of cleared his head and, you know, I thought, right, I still have another go at this. Gary Evans, Podrick Harrington and Shigeki Mariyama all finished a shot back on five under par. And for the first time in Open Championship history, there was a four-man playoff. Ells, LeVay, Elkington, Appleby. It was tense. Ernie needed help from his psychologist as well as those closest to him. Firstly, my wife, you know, she's, she's been so supportive towards me through all the years and she was heavily pregnant with our second child, Ben. So I was a bit concerned that, you know, she's going to be get so upset, you know, the baby might drop you, <laughs> kind of a thing. But she gave me a, a nice talking to, you know, she wanted to get me out of this funk I was in. So she was nice. Led better, you know, he was kind of just standing around, you know, you know, the swing is what it is, you know, it's in your, it's in your mind now, what you make of it. And then Ricky, you know, he's, he's quite tough. But my Belgian guy, Jos, he was besides himself. He was effing and blinding at me, telling me what an idiot I was. You know, I've been working with him for almost two years up to that point. We started winning a lot of tournaments around the world. 
And he just went off at me. He was like, you know, I didn't train you to play like this, to think like this, get your head out of your backside. He blasted me so much that somehow in my mind, I got free. Yoss was really on me. He got things out of Ernie that I don't think any other man could have done, nor even myself. I mean, he used to get in his face, you know, and he'd be standing there, you think you're good. You're not that good. You know, he used to get, which I think used to get under his skin, which actually motivated him. But this guy used to wind him up. But he, he sort of got him getting rid of the demons and believing in himself. A playoff over four holes. They'll go down the first and then cut across the course to play 16, 17 and 18. We do understand at the moment that they will play in two two balls. And what a dramatic final day. I think the fans' favourite was Ernie that year because he he hadn't won one at that stage and, it, and there was a couple of Aussies and a Frenchman in that playoff. And I would say more of the, the fans were pulling for Ernie that year than, than anybody else. Are you all clear? Yep. Right. You're first, right? I'm second. Thomas Levey and Steve Elkington will be the first pair. So Appleby and Ells the second pair. They all par the first playoff hole except for Elkington. And he didn't read it very well. That's a shot dropped instantly. One with the par. On 16, the second playoff hole, it was Appleby's turn to bogey. Levey had no such problems. Wall of death putt here for Levey. He's got to get around the depression at the front of the green. First putt to Levey. Made it, and uh, it's like, uh, oh, wow! I just part the first hole. I birdied the second one. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in the lead for sure there. I don't know what the guys behind me are doing, but I know that I'm leading there. There's like nobody's gonna catch this up. And I thought, you know, some sometimes my, my you know, my grandparents were not there anymore. And I thought, mm, that's the way. Maybe he's looking after me there, my grandfather. On the third playoff hole, the 17th, Levey pars and Elkington birdies. Then Els pars and Appleby birdies. They're courageous fellas. To be, to be in this situation, but that's a very good birdie. That makes him level. So it's Levey is in the lead at the moment, but he'd have to hold huge long putt at 18. That's right. The Frenchman had a one-shot lead going into the final hole. If he gets a four here, he could be a champion. But he's now on the 18th green with a monster putt for par. Thomas, for a four. Oh my goodness, he missed a wallop. From 30-something yards, I had to try to put it on the green first and two putts, so I make bogey that way. I was not very happy because I knew that I deserved better on the two shots I hit. But, you know, it's golf. You can't be perfect all the time. Well, that was a real pressure part, and with great courtesy, he asked for silence for Elkington. But they're all at level par right now, and the best Elk do is stay on that score. Elkington then puts to keep his dream of a second major alive. Just to stay level. If this misses, he's gone. He's gone. Well, we've lost at least one player. Steve Elkington from Australia. 95 US PGA champion. He's out of the playoff. It's Els and Appleby's turn to take on 18. Appleby is the next defaulter. Appleby now with his fourth shot. This has to go in. That was a good effort, but not good enough. That means that both the Australians are eliminated. Appleby can do no better than one over, and Levy is already in with par. Now, there's only one man that can uh, finish it in this uh, four-hole playoff, and that is Ernie Els. If he holds this, he wins the championship. If he takes two putts, then uh, he and Thomas Levey go into sudden-death playoff. Ernie, this is your second bite of the cherry. And if you miss, you'll have a third one. But surely it must be your championship. But, but, but. No. Still a bit of work to do as well. Sudden death will now be played immediately over the 18th hole until a winner emerges. And then there were two. 
South Africa versus France. Ernie Els versus Thomas LeVay to win the claret jug. I knew uh, Steve Elkington and uh, Stuart Appleby were out, so it's only two people. Only now I got 50% chances of winning the Open. So I'm not tired at all. I'm just uh, ready to go for another 600 holes, if you ask me. And uh, and just uh, and we take that buggy to to the to the tee box, and and, and the, the you know that that Murfield, the last hole is surrounded by those crowds and uh, it's I don't know how many seats up they are and the people are so loud you hear your name let's go Levet I put money on you let's go make that part things like this so it's just it was just fun that's not good Ernie isn't it amazing and that's not easy that's a horrid place well you know he says I can't believe I've just done that you know you're trying to stay positive but you see the oil's leaking, you know, <laughs> and it's difficult to plug the leak. Okay, I said, Listen, you are the best bunker player in the world, you can handle this. <laughs> there were a few speeches coming out. I said, Come on, man, we can still do this. Very tough one, but this man is one of the best bunker players in the game of golf. And then he just hit the most beautiful shot. I mean, wow. You know, we call it a controlled duff out of a bunker. You know, you cannot catch a thin because you're going to hit it into the bank in front of you. I had to lift my club up very, very quickly. You know, otherwise I didn't have a backswing. And as you say, you know, all your weight's on your left side. Your legs are shaking a little bit. you got to make good contact and get it out there. He's got to be careful on the downswing. He doesn't hit the bank as he comes down. much time both have played three I think it's 40 love to Ernie at the moment wouldn't be though if Thomas could just slide this one in I'm facing that 10 meter putt for my par and I want to make it so much that I hit it so hard you know so I hit it I don't know maybe 10 to 12 feet past the hole something like this so I'm thinking to myself don't give him the, the open on double bogey come on it's like oh my if he misses this then Ernie's got two putts and even I could do it from there with two putts. <laughs> I made the putt, yeah, I made the putt, and uh, the crowd went just crazy. Yeah. Hey. Tiger. Well done. And uh, I took quite them down. They were he was preparing his putt, and the people were just crazy around uh, around for so long. And I'm thinking, yeah, you never know. It's not a tough putt, but uh, under these circumstances, you you need to make it. Ernie now has a putt to become the first South African to win the Open Championship since Gary Player in 1974. This for the championship. If he misses, they go back and do it all over again. That's what it's about. As a boy, and we've, we've all done it, all pros have done this. You know, growing up, you had the chipping green when the, the sun's going down with your mates, and you're hitting a bunker shot, and chip shots, and putts. But you're doing it on the 72nd hole. You're not doing it on the fifth extra player fall, <laughs> you know, after messing up a lot and, and so forth. So you're standing there going almost like, don't mess this up again. I mean, how many chances do you want to have to win the Open? That kept ringing in my ear. And, and obviously what Joss and my wife and everybody, you know, this, you almost start playing for, for somebody else here also. I was as nervous as I've ever been over a shot. Not straightforward, Ken, is it? Just outside the right edge. Oh, the third time of asking, Ernie Else is the champion of 2002. But oh, my word, he gave his family and friends and, and all of us many heart attacks. It was such a relief, I cannot tell you. It was, uh, was something I've always wanted to do, you know, win and open. It was my favorite event and I had many chances before that, but, you know, making that putt in that moment, uh, it was just incredible. You know, I grabbed him, I was like, you're the man, you're the man, you know? I think out of all majors, the Open Championship is the one. His whole life, he dreamt of winning the Open Championship, you know? And I just know what, the Open Championship means to him. It means everything. I was so happy for him that day because I just thought, what a performance. 
that whole week, I mean, those conditions, to come through that and then to go through that whole rigmarole of playoffs on Sunday and then to eventually hold that claret joke aloft was, no, it was quite special, quite emotional. I get goosebumps now, actually. <laughs> and the ship anchored out there sounds its horn. There he goes, the old foghorn, to celebrate victory for Ernie yeah, it was incredible. I mean, he'd always been a sort of a favourite of ours. We loved the way he played the game. And just seeing him win it, it, it obviously meant a huge amount to him. But yeah, it was it was clearly somebody who worked for something for a huge part of his life and, and fulfilled a dream at the end of the day. And um, to be part of that is, is something very, very special. From memory, I think the reaction from LaVey was incredible as well, picking him up and in the air. Just come to my gym. I don't charge very much. That's all it is. <laughs> No, he's more than 100 kilos, he's more than that, but he's quite light for a big guy, actually. He needs to work out more. I'm almost his weight and uh, I'm lost more than him. <laughs> oh, what a Very nice. It really was an amazing event to work on, and it's now time for possibly the best story you'll hear following an Open Championship victory. Well, I had to do all the press and stuff. In those days, I, I had an aeroplane, and Liesl, as I said, was quite pregnant, so that the plane was, was ready to go. I said, you know what, after the press conference, let's just get out of here. Let's get home, let's get down to Wentworth. We can celebrate down there. She says, okay, perfect. So I get back to gray walls after everything, and as I walk into the bar, Price is there, Ricky's there, my parents are there, their friends, my friends, these everybody's there. And I got the clattered jug in my hand. Whenever you go to Grey Walls, you can go see the pictures there. Getting out of there very quickly flew out of the window. <laughs> you know, we we stayed there, we drank out of the, the clattered jug numerous times. I don't know exactly. I mean, it was mostly champagne at first, but then there was some other stuff also. At Grey Walls, in the bar, Nick Price was in there, he got all the champagne ready. So I was standing on the other side and I had his phone in my pocket. It was ringing, no call ID, so I answered it. And this voice came over, hello, Ernie, this is Madiba, it was Mandela. So <laughs> he says, oh, I want to congratulate you, well done. And I'm like, uh, no, no, it's Ricky here. Can I speak with Ernie? And I said, yeah, just hold on. So Ernie's on the other side of the bar. I'm like, Ernie, you need to take this call. And he went, I tell the guy I'll call him back later. I said, no, it's Nelson Mandela. He's like, oh, grabbed the phone. Went over and it was President Mandela. We have spoken before that, but when he called and what he said and how proud he was personally and, and for the nation and so forth, it really, really just made it so much more special. I mean, Nelson Mandela goes down in, in my book as the greatest leader that's, that's ever lived. He really, really enjoyed when us South African sportsmen, you know, flew the flag. And, and obviously, you know, in that fashion was great. The Big Easy won the Open the hard way. He had to see off Tiger at his peak. He had to battle an epic storm. And he had to overcome an historic four-man playoff. On the 21st of July 2002, the South African fulfilled his childhood dream of winning the Claret Jug. And he did it Ernie's way. I've known Ernie for 30 years and, you know, he's done almost everything we thought he was going to do, you know, in golf. You know, he ran into a bit of a buzzsaw with Tiger Woods and finished second a bunch of times to him. But Els has nothing to hang his head about. His career has been unreal and he's going to be one of the great players, Hall of Fame player. He's one of the best players I've ever seen. I love him. I've, I've played with him a few times over the years. Um, terrific bloke, like I said, just very laid back. Just a nice bloke and his, his missus and that. I've, I've, I went out and played in a, a tournament with them in Asia. It was, I think there was about five guys and myself and a couple of the Asian tour players as well. Yeah, and had a great time with him. So I've got nothing but nice things to say. This for the ultimate prize. And in she goes! The Claret Jug is the most special trophy in golf. It's the most unique one. I never wanted to touch it until I actually won it. So for a very, very long time, I just walked around this jug, you know, when it was on the first tee or 
displayed anywhere in the world. So to actually put it in your hands and knowing that your name's on the on the jug is just incredible. It's just the best tournament there is, and that, that is period. With a score of 278, the winner of the gold medal and the champion golfer for the year is Ernie Els. The story of 2002 was narrated by me, Di Doherty, and produced by Rob Day, Mike Birch and Chris Lewis. The executive producers were Paul Sutcliffe and Steve Tebb. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon, hopefully, man. Want to keep the discussion going? Join the Open Podcasts Facebook group today to engage with your favourite episodes, players and stories. Share your own experiences in the game or post about your favourite tales from the podcast or beyond. A new community for fans of golf's greatest stories. Join now at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash The Open Podcasts. This has been an original audio production from The Open.